Village, the Bible is central to everything we do, and there is Bibles at the back if anyone needs one. Um, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as though those as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send your, your greetings. Grace be with you all. You. Sorry. This is the word of the Lord. I, I've come to realize that, that we have a lot in common with these people. And what they struggle with, we struggle with. Uh, what they are um, uh, being tempted with. And, and they're um, essentially what, what, the, what the author uh, wrote to his brothers and sisters because he knew they desperately needed it. We need that as well. Um, we are in desperate need of all of the encouragement in Hebrews. All of the, the hard uh, admonishments uh, in the book of Hebrews. We need it all because we, like them, can uh, start our Christian journey really well, um, really excited, um, really convinced about who Jesus is, maybe even willing to go through a little bit of public reproach like they did because we're so convinced of, of who Jesus is, but we, like them, also become weary. We, like them, also become tired. Um, we can be tempted to, to drift away. Uh, to become dull in our hearing, um, and we can be tempted to give up just like them. So we desperately need that letter as well. So hopefully you're not done with it. Keep digging into it. Keep applying it to your life. Um, one last time, the author's grand exhortation, his main uh, message in this sermon, in this letter, is that we persevere in the faith, that we don't turn our backs on Christ, that we don't go looking for some other kind of mediator for between us and God. We don't look for some other way into fellowship with God, but that we continue on, that we press on in this race uh, in faith and perseverance. Um, and here at the end of chapter 13, the end of his sermon, he's, he's giving one last push of that, uh, of that message, one last exhortation. And one commentator said that the preacher's consistent exhortation and argument has been, Jesus is worthy of your faith, so have faith in him and don't fall away. Um, or like we've given this, uh, this series, this title, Jesus is better. Jesus is infinitely better than anything or anyone else this universe can offer you. So why would you go searching for what you can only find in him somewhere else? He's so much better, so press on in your faith in him. Um, so throughout this book, we've been called, been called to faith, been called to perseverance. Uh, he wants us to trust in Christ alone, to continue to trust in Christ alone, and he wants, us, uh, he wants our lives to reflect this, to live in light of, of that. 
Um, and in chapter 13, he's, he's been showing us what this life looks like, a life uh, uh, that's lived in light of trusting in Christ alone. And uh, he's given us some examples, some exhortations of this life of faith. Um, I know Andrew uh, kind of went to the end of, of verse 16. I'm going to back up slightly and start in verse 15 and then take us to the end of the book. Um, so we'll cross over, overlap a little bit, but it's okay because they're incredibly important verses. Um, let me pray for us one more time and then we'll, we'll finish off Hebrews. Um, Father in heaven, we need your help. We desperately need your help. Um, we, we've, we've seen in this book how important it is to um, persevere, to stay steadfast to you, Jesus, but we've also seen how difficult it is to do that. Um, so we ask for your help again. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask for your help uh, in this gathering um, to open our hearts. Only you can do that. I'm, I'm, I, I don't have the power to do that. I don't, I don't have the eloquence and the wisdom, uh, the persuasiveness to um, to open hearts, but you can, Lord. You give people sight. You bring people back from the dead. Um, do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're just going to break this last section up into three parts. Uh, we'll first look at verses 15 to verse 19. I'm going to scoot you forward a little bit, because I already feel so far away from you that this helps a little, like three inches closer, but um, verses 15 to 19 is his final exhortation, and we'll spend most of our time there, Uh, and then verses 20 to 21, he gives a benediction, and then verses 22 to 25, we'll just breeze through that, and he gives kind of final greetings and a a blessing at the end. So um, let's look at that first section, verses 15 to 19, his final exhortation. I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 15, through him then, who's him? That's Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more, uh, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. So that's his, his final exhortation uh, uh, before he finishes here. And we can summarize those verses in this way. Verses 15 uh, to 19 give it this summary, that we as Christians ought to reflect our loyalty to Christ. We as Christians ought to reflect our loyalty to Christ. So all through this book, through 13 chapters, we've been called to faith, to perseverance in faith uh, in in the Lord Jesus. In other words, we're called to be loyal to Christ, to be loyal to Christ, to be faithful to Him to the end, no matter what comes our way. And, and in verses 15 to 19, he's saying we ought to reflect that loyalty to Christ in our praise, in our obedience, and in our prayer. So those are three ways he's, he's saying we should reflect this loyalty to Jesus. We reflect that in our praise, in our obedience, and in our prayer. So let's look at those three things for a moment in verses 15 to 19. 
Firstly, notice in verse 15, he calls us to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So he's calling us to, to worship God from our hearts through our lips and our lives. So verses 15 to 16, we can see he, he, he talks about three areas that he wants us to offer up this sacrifice of praise. Firstly, we, he wants us to offer up the sacri- sacrifice of praise in our worship. Offer up the sacrifice of praise in our worship. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? Sacrifice of praise. We don't really use that anymore. Uh, but it, they would have been familiar with it because it's used often uh, in the Old Testament. The psalmists repeatedly call God's people to offer up a sacrifice of praise, offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, but here in the New Testament, in, in the New Covenant, this sacrifice of praise is it is very different from the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in the Old Covenant. And why? Well, well he, he kind of hints at what he's getting at with the language he uses. He says, we're to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And then he tells us what that is. He says, it's the fruit of lips that acknowledge him. This is vastly different from the Old Covenant sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Because in that old Levitical system, how did you offer up a, a thank offering? You, you did so with an, with an animal sacrifice. You'd, you'd do it with a, uh, you'd, you'd kill a bull as a thank offering, or you'd make some other sort of sacrifice according to the, the ritual code. But here he's saying, that's not what God wants from you anymore. And we're, we're no longer talking about animal sacrifices. Because remember, the whole argument of the book of Hebrews is, is those things are obsolete. Those animal sacrifices uh, are, are useless anymore. They're obsolete. And, and why are they obsolete? Well, he's told us it's because Christ has been offered up once and for all. That Jesus is the only sacrifice that there is. In fact, the, the Old Testament sacrifices, all those animal sacrifices, they were only helpful, they were only useful for a, for a time because they were foreshadows of Christ's, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's hard to say. They were only useful and helpful because they pointed towards Christ on the cross. But now that that Christ has been offered up once and for all, we are to offer up a sacrifice which is the fruit of our lips. That's what he's after from us now. In other words, it's it's through our worship, it's through our praise of God, which comes from a heart that has been changed by the once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Say that again. This is what the sacrifice of praise is that we are called to offer up. It's worship that comes from our heart that has been changed by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So God still wants your sacrifices of praise. He still wants your sacrifices of thanksgiving. But no longer is that the killing of an animal. Thank goodness, that's a lot of blood. It's actually now an offering of praise from our lips because because of what he's accomplished for us in his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. But in verse 16, he goes on and he says, I also want you to offer up another kind of sacrifice. I want you to offer up the, the sacrifice of good works. Look at verse 16. It says, do not neglect to do good works and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, so we're to offer up the sacrifice of, of worship from our lips, and here are two other ways that we offer up sacrifices of praise and worship to God, by doing good works and by sharing with others. 
not, not treating our, our treasures as ours, but as treating them as things to be useful in the helping of others who are in need. So we offer up the sacrifice of, of obedience and good works, and we offer up the sacrifice of sharing and giving to others, giving of the substance that the Lord has given to us for the sake of those in need. You see what he's getting at here? He's saying this offering of praise that I want you to offer up is a whole life worship event. (laughs) He's saying your, your offering of praise and thanksgiving to God, it's not just about what comes from your heart out your lips. Although that's incredibly important, it's absolutely essential that that does happen, but he's saying that's not all that it is. Your praise to God isn't just what comes out of your mouth, it's also what you do with your life. It's, it's about your obedience, it's about your doing good works, it's about your giving to others. This offering of praise, he's saying, is both word and deed. And why do we offer these sacrifices of praise to him? He says it's because they're pleasing to him, because God actually takes pleasure in those sacrifices, because they actually glorify him. That's why we offer them. And I can honestly say that there's nothing more powerful, there's nothing more explosive in glorifying God than when this happens. There's nothing more powerful or explosive in glorifying God than when a follower of Jesus not only sings his praises with their mouths, but when they actually consider their earthly treasures not as things that are theirs, but they are just tools in order to do good and to love others. There's nothing more powerful in glorifying God than that. Here's an example. Is, um, we all know Haley, Andrew's wife, has uh, not been well this, this year. Uh, she's had kind of problems with her tonsils. Tonsillitis just keeps kind of flaring up in her lives. I've had tonsillitis once, and it was dreadful, one of the worst sicknesses I've had, and she's had that over and over this year. Um, it's been absolutely uh, terrible for her, and she's done it amazingly. I've loved watching my sister uh, depend on the Lord through that. Um, but essentially, doctors have said, your tonsils need to come out, otherwise this is going to continue to happen. Um, the problem is there's a, a long waiting list for that surgery um, because of COVID, other reasons. Um, there's a long wait to get that done. So uh, this past week, they uh, went to a, a private doctor um, and just had a consult, and he said the same thing. Your, your tonsils need to come out or, or else you're just going to continue to suffer with this sickness. Um, but to do it privately is pretty expensive. You're talking a, a few grand um, so they went to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, what do you want to do here? Do, do you want us to wait? Do you want, are you trying to do something here? We learned about that. That, that is kind of discipline in our sufferings. Are you trying to teach us something? Um, if so, help us to, 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 to wait and sustain us through that. Or, Lord, do you want to provide uh, so that we can get this done quickly and so Haley can get better? Um, prayed with that. They didn't go start a, a kind of GoFundMe or anything like that. They shared that with a few close friends, and within days, they had the money to do the surgery, and it's booked, and they're going to do it um, in, a, in a few weeks, I think. So um, what an amazing picture of a life changed by what Jesus has done on the cross for us is when his people consider their, their earthly treasures, their money that they worked hard for as not their own treasures, but as tools in order to do good and to love others who are in need. 
for brothers and sisters to, to, to actually consider a sister's health and well-being more valuable than what their money can do in their lives. And that comes from a heart that has been changed by Jesus' once and for all sacrifice on the cross for them. There's nothing more powerful and explosive in glorifying God than when that happens. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that amazing? Before we move on, I want to note a very few important things about these sacrifices of praise. It's crucial to understand these points. Firstly, it's important to understand that the kind of sacrifices that he is asking us to offer up here are only offered through Jesus Christ. And those two words at the start of verse 15 are so important. Through him, then, let us continually offer up these sacrifices of praise. So the only way we, we offer sacrifices as Christians anymore is, is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship is only through Jesus. He's saying acceptable worship, it's only acceptable because it's based on the once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So, so the, the sacrifices that, that we now make in the new covenant are in no way made in order to make us right with God. It's so important for you to understand that. These, these things that we say with our lips, the good works that we do, the, 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 the giving our things away, none of those are made in order to, to make you right with God. They're only there to, to please Him as a, as a life of response to Him. And it's, it's kind of the same, it really even in the, in the Old Testament, those sacrifices were only acceptable because they were foreshadows, they were pointing towards the one real sacrifice of Jesus. So whatever sacrifices He's calling us to make here now, It's not a sacrifice that makes us right with God. That only happens through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That is the only way for you to be made right with God, is through his sacrifice. Therefore, he says, whatever he's calling us to do now, we must do it through Christ. It is accepted only through him and by him in that way. It's very important for you to understand that. Otherwise, you're going to give in to legalism. But notice he points out another way our sacrifices are quite different from the sacrifice of the, of, of the Old Covenant. Uh, they're different because we offer them continually. Um, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. This is vastly different from the Old Testament sacrifices because we, we continually offer them up as opposed to the occasional sacrifices in the Old Testament. Um, so it might have only been once a year you would go down and offer up a, a sacrifice of a of a bull or whatever under the Levitical code. But he says, that's not the kind of sacrifice uh, I want you to offer up. I want you to offer one up continually, all the time. Not, not every now and again, kind of dipping in and out of worship. I want it to be every day, all day, continually. Continually offering up the sacrifice of praise. And again, this continual offering up of a praise from our, from, from our heart is both in word and deed. And notice how, how these God-pleasing sacrifices actually parallel the two great commandments that Jesus talks about. So he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, basically the law is summed up and, as love God and love your neighbor. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is calling us to do. He's asking us to, to live our whole lives in worship to God and in love to the other. We, we are to worship God with our lips and our lives and our actions. This, this heart worship should flow and a result 
Uh, it results in doing good and sharing with others. Um, he's, he's echoing beautifully what Paul expresses in Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul says, uh, I appeal or I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which, he says, is your spiritual worship. This is how you worship, by offering yourselves up in that way. Basically, he's saying, I want you to give yourselves as a sacrifice since Christ had given himself as a sacrifice that has actually brought you back from the dead. So Christ's sacrifice has brought you back into fellowship with him and has brought you back into fellowship with his people. He says, therefore, I want you to give yourselves back as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. And so he's calling us to a sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of, of kind and loving actions towards one another. F.F. Bruce puts it this way. He says, Christianity is sacrificial through and through. It is founded on the one self-offering of Christ and the offering of his people's praise and property, their services and their lives is caught up in the perfection of his acceptable sacrifice and is then accepted by him. Church, through Jesus' once and for all sacrifice, on the cross, you have been brought into fellowship with God again. And you have been brought into fellowship with the saints. You've been changed forever through his sacrifice. Therefore, the result of that should be continual offering up of worship and praise, both in word and deed. Look at verse 17. Um, so we're, we're still... In this section where he's, he's telling us what this life looks like that reflects our loyalty to Christ. And he starts by saying, well, it looks like a life that continually offers up uh, praise both in word and deed. And then he says, it's also a life of obedience. He says, I want you to offer up a sacrifice of praise. And then he says, I want you to obey your elders. I want you to obey your leaders. Verse 17, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So he's calling us to show appropriate respect and submission uh, to the, the spiritual leaders that God has given us. Um, I know anytime you talk about like obedience and submission, it's like, oh, it kind of makes you squirm a little bit, but it's actually a good thing. He said, actually, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that, that one of the gifts, that gifts are good, one of the gifts that Jesus gave to the church from the right hand of the Father is the officers of the church. The, the, he gave the church pastors and teachers who would lead in the congregation. He'd given the church elders who, who care and tend the flock lovingly. He's given the church uh, spiritual, uh, elders who have spiritual authority in the church. It's, it's a gift, it's a good thing, but it's also a very weighty calling. It's a very deep responsibility. It's a heavy calling. Because he says that the Lord has given us elders who have the spiritual responsibility to answer to God on behalf of the congregation. So the reason for the obedience given here is that these leaders will one day have to give an account to the Lord. That's a pretty awesome and terrifying thought that one day the elders of this church will stand face to face with Jesus and will have to be
be responsible and have to give an account for how they gave oversight for your soul. And the author is saying, I want you then, Christian brothers and sisters, to, to live in light of the fact that one day those men will have to give an account for you. So the motivation in this instance is that we remember what our elders will one day have to do. And these leaders are given this charge, we're told in this verse, to, to watch over your souls. Um, so it's a good thing. It's, 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 it's not an arbitrary leadership. It's not um, self-serving. It's not for their benefit necessarily. It's for the church's benefit. The purpose is to, 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 to encourage the church to be faithful, to persevere to the end, encourage the church to, uh, to live in light of the truth of the gospel, to encourage the church to, to walk with the Lord, to run the race to the end, to fix their eyes on Jesus. So the author says we ought to submit and obey so that the task of, of them giving an account is a joy and not a grief. And he gives the extra reasoning for obedience at the end of verse 17. He says, it, it's actually, he says, your obedience and your submission to, to godly leaders. So he's not talking about, he doesn't want you to obey and submit to bad leaders. Okay? If there's bad leaders in the church, then find new leaders. <laughs> he's saying, but he says, your obedience and your submission to godly leaders, leaders who, who are actually caring for your soul who are actually leading with the knowledge that one day they will give an account to the Lord. That changes the way you lead. He's saying when you, when you uh, obey and submit to them, it's actually advantageous for you. It's actually helpful for you. You should actually want to receive good, godly, God-fearing care for your souls. You should want that. It's not always easy to obey and to submit, but he says it's so good. He continues in verse 18, we're to pray for our spiritual leaders. So this is the kind of third way that we reflect our loyalty to Christ and our praise and our worship and our um, uh, obedience and also in our prayer for our spiritual leaders. Um, I love that he's asking them for prayer. I love what that shows us about his feelings toward them. It's similar to, to many of Paul's requests in his letters. Paul's always asking for prayer. He's always uh, desiring to, longing to be with his brothers and sisters. And, and, he, and he, he's always doing that alongside giving some harsh warnings, giving some difficult teachings. So that happens in a lot. It happens in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is, is a difficult book. He says some really um, difficult, hard things to that church in Corinth, but then he turns around and he, he still appeals for the congregation to pray for him. And I think it's the same with the, with the author of Hebrews. He's been very frank with them, hasn't he? There, there's some strong warnings in this book, some difficult things to hear, but he's saying these things out of love and concern for his brothers and sisters, and he shows them that he loves them, and he asks for their prayers. And one commentator, Philip Hughes, says this. He says, as a genuine Christian friend and mentor should, he has spoken very frankly of the perils which he sees to the spiritual well-being in this congregation. And he is sure that he, he has a clear conscience, 
That is, that his conduct in relation to them can stand both the scrutiny of men and God. So he's saying that he's... He's leading with a clear conscience. He's leading with the fact that he knows that one day he will give an account. But the impulse behind his stern admonitions has not been hostility or an authoritarian desire to inflate his own reputation at their expense. No, he's spoken the truth in love and compassion. And that is confirmed by the fact that he appeals for them to pray for him. So the only reason he's spoken many of these hard words to them is because he loves them. He loves these brothers and sisters. And the very fact that he would say, pray for me, pray for us, shows us that he has a clear conscience. He's spoken the truth in love. He's spoken what he knows they needed to hear. But now he wants them to know that he did it because of his goal, his desire was to act honorably, he says, in in his treatment of them and also to do them good. In fact, he, he makes his love clear for them by saying he, he longs to be with them. He, he urges them to pray all the more so that he might be restored to them sooner rather than later. Pray for me. Pray that I can come be with you. Why? There's only one reason. It's because he loves them. Love that, that prayer because of the love there. So what's the application of all of this? In this last exhortation, the final exhortation of his sermon, he asks us to We should reflect our loyalty to Christ, and he says we should live our lives as a sacrifice of praise, both in word and deed. He asks us to respect and submit to our elders because they're caring for your soul, because one day they will give an account, and he asks us to pray for our spiritual leaders because we love each other. And then he moves on and he pronounces a blessing upon us. Um, So in verses 20 to 21, he prays a benediction. We do this at the end of every gathering. It's a prayer of blessing. Um, and I, I just want to quickly dissect this, this benediction because it's short, but it's powerful, and it's full of grace, and it teaches us a lot. So um, it's a seven-part benediction, uh, which teaches us again what he's been trying to get across to us, that it's, it's by the blood of the eternal covenant that Christians experience the grace uh, and, and the, 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 pe- the peace and the power of God. Let me say that again. It's by the blood of the eternal covenant Jesus' blood poured out for us that we experience the, the power and the peace of God. So, seven parts to this blessing. Firstly, he begins with the words, Now may the God of peace. Now may the God of peace. This is called the invocation. Um, he's, he's invoking God to, he's invoking the God of peace to, to bless the congregation. Um, which is really important. We, we do a benediction at the end of the gathering. We'll do one. But it's important to note that the person doing the benediction uh, doesn't have any power to bless you. We don't have any extra power that's going to bless you. Uh, but, but what that person is doing is they are invoking God's blessing onto you. They, they, he, is, he is invoking the Lord to display his grace and his power and his peace upon the people. He, he's, he's calling on the Lord, this God of peace. He's invoking him to give his grace to you all. That's how he begins. Now, may the God of peace, this is invocation. Secondly, you have the phrase, uh, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And that phrase is, the, is a phrase of adoration. Um, it's, it's an adoration of the God of peace. And so he, he pauses and he says, hey, this God of peace who I'm calling on to bless you, 
He is the one who, by his mighty work, brought up from the dead our great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, by the blood of the eternal covenant. This is the God of peace who I'm calling upon to bless you. The one who brought up from the dead, Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Next, he prays that the God of peace would equip you to do his will. May he equip you with every good thing, uh, with everything good, that you may do his will. Uh, That phrase is his main petition. This is what he's asking God to do. He's, He's calling on this God of peace to do something. And this is it, that he would equip us that we may do his will. So you have the invocation Now may the God of peace, you have the adoration, the God of peace who brought up Jesus from the dead, and then you have the petition that he would would equip you to be obedient to him. I'll say more about that in a minute. Fourthly, he adds a a supplemental petition. So he's kind of adding on to his main petition by praying, uh, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So he's, he's he's specifying what he's praying here. But he's highlighting that that even those things which we do in accordance with God's will, it's God's spirit that is working in us. So so our our sanctification, our becoming more holy, our our becoming more Christ-like, it's not a matter of us kind of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. No, our our sanctification is a a process of being sanctified by the, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and us committing to Uh, striving after Christ's likeness. I'll say more about that in a second as well. Fifthly, he says, through Jesus Christ. That's incredibly important. This is the basis of his whole prayer, that that the God of peace would equip you through Jesus Christ. Sixthly, we have a doxology. This is a little worship line. It says, to whom be glory forever and ever. He's talking about Jesus here. He's he's saying that through Jesus Christ, he's going to to equip you. And because of that, Jesus gets glory forever and ever. That's really important. So you're going to be doing some things, but Jesus gets the credit for it because he's the one that's going to empower you for these things. Wow. And finally, the seventh part of the benediction is the amen. The so be it. Important that we pray that at the end of our prayers. The the, the Lord do as we have prayed according to his will. The amen. Seven parts to a a little blessing, but it's packed full of grace and power. Um, We could do an entire series on that one prayer. But notice how he describes the Lord. He says he's the God of peace. Um, I think he's talking about the peace of the gospel here. um, Because what does the gospel do? It reconciles us to God, and the peace of the gospel turns sinners and enemies of God into his family and into his friends, and he's speaking directly about the blood of the eternal covenant, Christ's blood poured out for us, that it's, it's, that is what forms the bond of peace between us and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as he died for our sins and we trusted in him. Go read Ephesians, it's, it's all about that. He's the God of peace, it's incredible. Um, he reminds us then in the same sentence of the very basis of the resurrection. I don't have time for this, but this is incredibly rich. Uh, go do a study on this sometime. The author is saying that it's, it, it's the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, which is brought again from the dead, our great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. He's giving us a peek behind that eternal agreement between the Father and the Son, that the Son would, would suffer on behalf of the people, and, and in light of that suffering, by right, he would be raised from the dead. 
It's by the blood of the eternal covenant of redemption that Jesus Christ is, is brought back from, from the grave. It's pretty incredible, so rich. Um, but the main thing I want you to grasp, the main thing I want you to be encouraged with today is his main petition in this benediction. Please understand what he is saying in what he is asking God to do for us. He's praying specifically that God would equip you for holy living, okay? that God's power would be at work equipping you for good works, and that God's will would be at work in us that we might do his will, that which is pleasing in his sight. So do you see the two sides of this? That God would be in us, that we might be holy, and that we would desire to be holy doing his will. So, so this is the will of God. Do you want to know the will of God? The will of God is that, is that we would will what God wills. That we would will what God wills. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. So this prayer here is the prayer that the people of this congregation would be spiritually equipped for every form of good works and thus fulfill God's will as he operates in them. Lincoln Dungan says this. He says this is a a beautiful picture of the the synergism of sanctification. I know that's big words. The synergism of sanctification. These are two things kind of coming together and working together. So God at work in us and us seeking to do God's will. God at work in us and us seeking to do God's will. Both of these things are at work but it's, he said it's the power of God that undergirds our ability to do that which is pleasing in his sight. It's him working in us. It's him empowering us to do his will. That's the beauty of the new covenant. That's the great news of the new covenant. The, the old covenant was broken, wasn't it? Not by, not by God. He was faithful. He kept his side. But we, the people of God, never could. We could never keep our part of the agreement of the covenant. It was never going to work. So what's the beauty of the new covenant? God does both. He does both. There's, there's two parts of the new covenant that we, that we saw in Jeremiah 31. I don't remember that. Two parts to the new covenant. Firstly, that God would forgive our iniquities. He's going to forgive your sins forever, remember them not, and that he will write his law on your heart, that, that he will actually come in to us and, and, and change us from the inside out. He will be at work in us, sanctifying us. So that's the, the, the beauty of the new covenant is that through Jesus, God keeps his side of the covenant forgiving our sins, forgetting them forever. But then Jesus comes around on our side of the covenant table and he empowers us to keep our part. He comes into our life. He he empowers us to be equipped for every good work to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Isn't that so encouraging? Isn't that so good? B.F. Westcott puts it this way. He says it really simply. He says, the work of God makes man's work possible. The work of God makes our work possible. It's God at work in us 
that makes it possible for us to do good works. So not only is our, is our justification, is our being made right with God, not only is that based on Christ's work on the cross, we know that, don't we? But also our sanctification, our, our then becoming more like Jesus, our becoming more holy, our doing good works, all of those things, that is also based on what Christ is doing. It's his work in us by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that your salvation is by grace from beginning to end. And I want you to see that that is such good news for us. I want you to be encouraged by that. Because if you're like me in any way, at some point in this this series, maybe specifically at the end of chapter 11, you'll have asked yourself, is it even possible? How on earth is it possible to persevere to the end? If you're like me, you'll have thought it seems too big. It's too hard of a task. I I know the pressures of this world. Surely I'm going to fall away. And I want you to hear his prayer here. He's saying, You're right. I know. If you are left to your own devices, you won't make it. But may the God of peace equip you to do so. That's so good. With his help, with his working in our lives, empowering us, equipping us, changing your desires, changing your affections as you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, he's saying, you can do it. It is possible. Not with your own power, but by his Isn't that so crucial? Isn't that so necessary? Isn't that our only hope? That the God of peace equip us. And just as we close here, he concludes with a final few words, an exhortation, and one last blessing. Notice in verse 22, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, I've written to you briefly. So he's, he's asking them, he's urging them to bear with his, his exhortation, bear with his teaching, with what he said to them over the last 13 chapters. That word bear means to endure. It means to, to put up with. Do you get a sense that this preacher is a little nervous? He's a little, he's a little concerned. Um, and I think there's two reasons he's feeling this way. One lesser, I think one greater. He says, hey, I've written to you briefly. So he knows, he knows he's, he's, he's going on quite a while. I, I read that this sermon would have taken about a congregation. Um, we've had our sermons um, long enough. Try to keep them shorter. Um, it's lengthy enough, and I think he's aware of that. Uh, but I, I suspect that it's not necessarily the length of his sermon that has him concerned as much as the content of it. He knows it's been a tough sermon to receive. He knows he's had several hard things to say to these brothers and sisters. Even for us, um, there's been sermons in this series that have made me squirm, have made me uncomfortable. If, if, if that hasn't happened for you, um, I'm impressed, but I'm also probably thinking you're probably not paying attention. There's hard, hard, hard sayings in this, in this sermon, in this series 
but difficult to take, hard admonishments. So the author is basically saying, bear with my teaching. Even though it may be painful, hang in there. Receive it. And that's true. Not, not all faithful preaching is easy to receive. There's going to be more sermons in, in our future that you might not love. It <laughs> might make you squirm. That might make you think, I don't know about that. That's okay. If you agree with everything in the Bible, if nothing makes you squirm, something's wrong. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. We need to be corrected. We need to be put on the right path, and that's what this does. And he says, it's all of those things. Why? He says, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. See how it's coming together again? That's how he's going to equip you is through that teaching. So we need it all. Even the hard parts, it's how we are equipped for every good work. Um, although good preaching isn't always easy to bear, it's always good for us. Um, so we encourage you to take that kind of one line on as well. And it's worth bearing with uh, his word of exhortation. And then lastly, uh, the last thing he says is he pronounces this one last blessing on them. He says, grace be with you. Grace be with you. Easy to brush over that. He said some stuff about Timothy. This is maybe just a way to say goodbye. That's a big last sentence to end on. Is that purposefully? That word grace sums up all of the blessings of the New Testament. Sums up the whole better covenant, which Jesus is the only mediator. So receive that as well. Brothers and sisters, when, if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you're wondering, like I have, how on earth is this even possible? How on earth will I persevere to the end? Grace be with you. When you fall, which you will, we all do, know that there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. No more shame, no more guilt. When you fall, when you stumble, brother, sister, get back up. Why? Grace be with you. When you begin to drift away, may you receive the encouragement from brothers and sisters and turn back again. Grace be with you. When you become dull of hearing, may you awaken up and start to pay closer attention again. It's possible. Why? Grace be with you. By grace you have been saved, but know that grace doesn't stop there. May grace be with you every step of your journey. It's a powerful way to end. It's been a blessing to study Hebrews together. Um, may the Lord bless us. May the Lord bless you, us together as we Attempt to walk in faith together to the end, persevering to the end in his, the truth of his work and his word. So, let's pray. Let's stand and pray. You stand with me. Um, so, Father, once again, we ask for your help. We desperately need your help. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we have a priest who is sympathetic, a priest who knows how difficult this road is, 
you know firsthand, Jesus, how difficult it is to reach the end of the race. I thank you, Lord, that that's not where you stop. You don't just say, yeah, I know it's hard, but good luck. No, you equip us to do everything. You empower your people. You never leave us or forsake us. You're with us every step of the way. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Please, Lord, we ask for your help. We want you to be glorified, Jesus, um, with our uh, offerings of, of praise, with our words, with our deeds. We want to glorify you, Jesus, um, in our, our good submission to, to those who you have placed over the care of our souls. And Lord, help us to glorify you um, with our prayer. Help us, Lord. Equip us, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.